Please, <clears throat> please stand for the reading of God's word. Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes a wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they will flow again. All things are full of weariness, and man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been and what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been, or been already, in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. This is the word of God. Thanks, brother. <clears throat> Let me uh, pray for us as we begin this uh, new sermon series. Uh, Jesus, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for uh, just showing yourself to me once again this morning, just on the way here. And I pray that uh, same experience for each one of uh, my family here in this room and also across the, the world as we meet together to celebrate and worship you. Uh, Jesus, you are uh, our Redeemer. You are our Savior. And so this this book of Ecclesiastes, it has a lot to teach us. And so I, I pray, Lord, that you'll open our hearts and our minds to, to the things that, is, uh, that are mentioned here, um, that you will challenge us, which I know you will, and morph uh, in us uh, the things that uh, you need to change and help us, Lord. Uh, take those things and apply them. Help us live out the good, the, the big truths of Scripture and apply them to our lives. And so I just pray for our time now that you'll soften our hearts, that you'll help us listen well and, and learn and, and understand what you have to say to us this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever bitten off more than you, more than you can chew? Um, I, I know there's, there's things like this uh, that have taken place in my life. Um, maybe even a job that you've experienced and you've taken that you feel like you're not qualified for. Uh, maybe a sports team that you're part of and you, you have other players on the team that you just know that they're way better than you. Or maybe an experience that you've walked into that you've just felt complete, absolutely out of control. This book, Ecclesiastes, is one of those things. It's a favorite book of mine because it tells it like it is. Uh, it, exactly, it, it says exactly what it is. It rubs against you in ways that will make you feel a bit uncomfortable and at times like you have bitten off more than you can chew. 
Uh, one author says this, Ecclesiastes may be the most difficult biblical book to interpret and preach. A major reason for this difficulty is that Old Testament scholars are not agreed on key issues, like the number of authors involved in writing this book, the, uh, the identity of the main author, when, where, and why the book was written, the quality of the Hebrew style, which sections are poetry and which are prose, the book structure or lack thereof, and whether it's a message is pessimistic or positive. This is what we're entering into as a church for the next few months, up until actually the end of summer, we're gonna be in this book of Ecclesiastes. And reading through this book, we have a few options to pass by it and just continue to live our lives as we have always in the past and to continue to do the things that we've been doing in the comforts that we have or to be challenged by this book, to be changed to think deeply of what's going on in our hearts. If we do the latter, we will most likely have a big lump in our throats. For the next few months anyways, as we walk through this book, because of the hard sayings within it. See, you see this book is written by an author that is telling a story of sorts to his son. And the preacher in verse one, some call a critic or a sage, is within the, within the story trying everything under the sun and coming to the conclusion that all is vanity. This word vanity is translated from the original word hevel. It's, it's mentioned 38 times in this 12-chapter book. And, and something, a phrase or a word, anytime a phrase or a word is repeated that much, 12 chapters, 38 times, we need to take notice. The author is trying to tell us something. One pastor said this book turns its searchlight upon our lives. Our world is filled with media outlets all proclaiming that it has what's best for you, right? Social media is a tidal wave of endless entertainment that gets you sucked into believing that there are new things out there and if you don't pay attention, you will miss out, you'll fall behind, you'll be unaware, and ultimately, you'll be a misfit, in the, misfit socially. Digging into this book, we will hopefully draw closer toward ultimate truth rather than a made-up one that simply spins in a cycle of folly over and over and over again. See, looking at the evalu and evaluating life is something we must do more of. We must slow down and take a look at what is going on inside of us. See, we must evaluate why we play video games, why we work, why we have Instagram, why we eat, why we sleep, why we drink, why we have friendships, get married, why we work, why the world was created, how creation works, and so on. We must answer, ask these questions. See, Brent Sandy and Ronald Geis in their book, Cracking Old Testament Codes, writes, the book of Ecclesiastes is one of the most important possessions of the Christian church. Since it compels us to continually evaluate and correct our understanding of God and our teaching about God in the light of the whole of biblical revelation. The reflections of the sage in Ecclesiastes unmask the myth of human autonomy and self-sufficiency and drive us in all our frailty and inability to find meaning in a crooked world in the creator-creature relationship. This is a treasure 
Philip Reichen, a theologian and pastor, writes, and it might be on the screen there, Ecclesiastes is a satiric attack on acquisitive, hedonistic, and materialistic society. It exposes the mad quest to find satisfaction in knowledge, wealth, pleasure, work, fame, and sex. See, if there was ever a time to invite your neighbors to church, and I challenged uh, my, my friends uh, in Bible study, but some of you are laughing, but this is a time to invite your friends to church. This is a book that is confronting things that a non-Christian and Christian both battle in. This is the perfect, actually, time to invite your unbelieving friends to church. This is a sermon series that will face things like pleasure and fame and sex and relationship and in a worldly way. See, the big idea is that all is vanity under the sun. This book looks at things that are just under the sun, taking away the heavenly in, in a sense. So you see, knowledge, wealth, pleasure, work, fame, and sex, all things this book touches upon are not what is evil. Not what is evil. What is evil is making them ultimate. And that's what we have done. That's what this world has done. This is all going to affect every one of us. See, let me give you a few more things to help with background of this book as we open this sermon series and also how we read scripture as we open uh, this series. The Bible, friends, the Bible is a piece of art. It's, it's a master literary work. How it is written and put together is like no other book. Those within the church, us, maybe Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ here, aren't shocked by this statement because we believe God put this book together. That's what we believe. The Bible Project, a great resource, has a tagline that says, maybe you've heard it, maybe you're familiar with this resource, but it says the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus and has wisdom to offer the modern world. The Bible itself says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. Like, think about that. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, the man or woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. No other book can claim that. The Bible can claim this because it is written by God. Other claims of scripture, and John goes even further in his gospel, John chapter one, verse one and 14, when he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word was God. This. No other book claims this. In the word, God became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, the Bible is for us, and its words are the very words of God. Other things that you need to know as we begin this amazing series, the Bible has eight literary styles. You can see them on the screen historical narrative, the law, poetry, wisdom literature, prophecy, apocalyptic, gospels, and epistles. Eight literary styles in this amazing book, this work of art. And each of these styles requires you to read it in a certain way. The book of Ecclesiastes, as well as other books in the Bible, usually have a few styles within them. The most common in Ecclesiastes is wisdom, wisdom literature. 
See, wisdom literature invites us to consider the complexities of wise living and gives us general rules of life. General rules of life. This is, again, why you invite your neighbor and your friends. Just gives us general, even if you don't believe this is to be God's word, if you lived by these general rules, it will go good for you. This is wisdom literature. The author J.A. Loader put it this way, wisdom is concerned with the correct ordering of life. Wise action is that which integrates people harmoniously into the order has, uh, ha- God has created. The rules of life that prescribe how human beings must integrate themselves into that order are the precepts of wisdom. So how we order our lives according to scripture is the precepts of wisdom. That's the beginning. As you fear God and live out his commands, it is wisdom. Another key to know and practice while studying is how we see Jesus redemptively in books like Ecclesiastes. This one is a bit more tricky because the preacher, the character in the book that the author is sharing about, and you'll see this as we go through this text of scripture, um, the character in the book that the author is sharing about, the preacher, is speaking about things he has experienced under the sun separate from God. We see this phrase, under the sun, around 30 times in the, in the book. Further, there is no redemptive story in this book. So together, we will do the hard and needed work of looking at this book through the lens of the cross in our community groups, here on Sunday mornings, and throughout the week as we encourage each other. This is what we do in the community. Sydney uh, Hardname, can't, can't pronounce his, his last name, so I just say his Sydney Hardname, in his book, Preaching, Preaching Christ from Ecclesiastes, has been a great help to me. He, he wrote this, listen to this. It's not a matter of trying to find Christ under every rock, but it's a matter of connecting the dots. And the dots that run from the periphery of the Old Testament to the center of God's revelation in Jesus Christ. Redemptive historical progression is the basic foundational way of connecting the dots. So what, what Sidney Hardname is essentially saying is, as we're looking through the Old Testament towards the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, there's a historical story that's taking place and it's all pointing to Jesus. Now, what we need to do in our studies of Ecclesiastes and our community groups and whatnot is flip that a little bit. And now look through the lens of the cross towards back into the story of, the his, of, histor- of history. And so this is redemptive historical background. It's looking through now the the book of Ecclesiastes with the lens of the cross. And that's what we're going to do every Sunday here. So that's a lot of information. That's the intro. A lot of information. Let me summarize that information really in three points. And then we'll jump into the text. Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature. We need to understand that. It's wisdom literature which tells us of the complexities of life and how one might live. That's what it's talking about. The big idea is all is vanity under the sun. All is vanity under the sun. And thirdly, as we read and study on our own, the Bible is a complex literary work that will continually reveal to you truths the more you understand the story being told of Jesus. So the more you understand Jesus, the more you understand the timeline of Scripture, the more you're going to be revealed in the, in the power of the Word of God. Because Jesus is the center of the story, and so we need to have that focus. So now let's jump in to the text. So Jewish writings often put the conclusion first. 
the conclusion is always set up. This is a likened to the te- like our time uh, of watching the end of the movie and then going back to the start and, and watching to see what, how that happened. That'd be how, how this works out. Or reading the end of a book and then going back and read. One of my kids, I think it's Hallie, uh, likes to read the end of the book and then read. The, she's a little bit crazy, uh, but that's okay. She's, she's not here right now, so I can call her crazy. Um, <clears throat> But she, she does this. This, this, is what, this is what the Jewish writings were actually about. So especially in li- wisdom literature, it gives you the conclusion first and then it unpacks why I've concluded this. And so you can see this right in verse 2 and verse 8, the beginning of verse 8, when it says this, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. This is his thesis statement. Verse 8, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. So here's the conclusion. Now we're going to unpack, and you can see the preacher after unpacking his conclusion, then goes on to share about work, life, the sun, wind, water, the eye, and the ear. This is what he unpacks, and we're going to jump in. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ecclesiastes if you haven't already. It's really important to have that open in front of you, especially as we go through this literature. Anytime we, have, uh, we come to church, please bring your Bibles or put it on an app. If you don't have a Bible, there is Bibles at the back. They're our gift to you. Please grab one. It is the greatest gift that we could ever give you. So verse 3, if you take a look at it in your, in your Bibles, it says this, What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Welcome to the shore. Uh, this, is, this is, I don't want to discourage you, but let's think about this week. Let's just think about it. So maybe like a typical day, this is not everybody's day, but a typical day, you wake up, maybe 6.37, eat some breakfast, maybe not eat some breakfast. Go to work from maybe 9 to 5, maybe less, maybe more. You come home, make some dinner, uh, or not make some dinner, I don't know. But then you watch some TV, maybe some YouTube, maybe read a book, maybe, maybe play a video game or two. Uh, maybe if you have kids, you tuck in your kids, you're playing with your kids, you tuck your kids into bed, you fall asleep while watching a show, then you wake up to go to bed. That's my dad always said, man, I have to wake up to go to bed. <laughs> and so he wakes up to go to bed and he goes to bed and then he does it all over again. Wake up at 7, eat some breakfast, maybe not eat some breakfast. Go to work 9 to 5, maybe a little bit less, maybe a little bit more. Eat some, eat some dinner, maybe play a video game or two, uh, read, read a book or watch some TV, YouTube. Tuck the kids into bed, go to sleep at the couch, watching TV, wake up to go to bed, do it all over again. What gain do you have? This verse is asking a very hard question. What is your gain? Some of you might answer going, you know what, I'm doing this to to pad my bank account so that I can have that holiday. But then what? In your toil, what do you gain? You still have debts and bills to pay, the things you are working so hard to get rid of, but you keep falling short. Like, don't we taste this? Like we put, a money, we put money in the savings account and we're going, oh man, I'm so close to having that little lump sum and then your car breaks down. Or one of your employee, employees quits. Or something else happens. There's a little book in the end, at the end of the Old Testament called Haggai. It's a minor prophet. It only has two chapters. Very powerful one. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 6, it says something similar to Ecclesiastes. It says this, consider your ways. 
That's the theme of that book. It says it multiple times. Consider your ways and it says you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in bags with holes. Hmm. Consider your ways. See, battling for some kind of fulfillment, but have you ever asked that what that something of fulfillment is? What is it? Like, what is it all for? So there's verse three. Let's look at verse four. Verse four, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. This one, man, it, my, my buddy and I, we, we talked about this one for, uh, man, maybe a couple of years ago. And we came up with four 20-year segments. And this might be some discouraging for some of you that are in the fourth quadrant. All right, but 20 years, say 20, 40, 60, 80. 80 years, you're dead. All right, welcome to the shore. All right, 80 years, you're dead. 20, 40, 60, 80. Okay, just on average, most likely that's where we're headed. Right, four segments of 20 years. Think about this with me. First segment, first stage, 20 years, zero to 20 years old. It's, I called it the learning stage, all right? You're going to school, you're asking a billion, like if you, one of these kids was yours up here, you know the why question, like why is the sky blue? Why is the sun? Like constant why, you ask a billion why, because they're in the learning stage, right? You're in the learning stage, that's zero to 20. Maybe some of you here are in that still, that learning stage. You're going to school, then you're going to graduate high school, and you're going to go to university or college, or you're going to study, or you're going to go to Bible school, whatever it might be, you're going to learn, you're going to go to a learning, continued learning stage. And you're being discipled by all kinds of different voices, and you're becoming, you're getting some, some information. And then you go to the next stage, the 20 to 40, and you begin to start unpacking what you've learned over that first 20 years, and you pour that into other people. And you're in the discipleship stage now. You're pouring all the things, all the things that you've learned into other people. And you, you're excited about it. You're going to change the world because of all this information I learned. And you, now you're just exuding all this, this information and this things that you've thought through and, and you're pouring it in. And maybe you've gotten married and you're having kids and now those kids and your wife or your husband are just, I just want to bestow all of my wisdom onto these little ones. It's the disciple stage. And maybe the third one is now the watching stage. How have I discipled? How has it worked? How, what are the voices that I've learned from in the first stage and now poured out into the second stage? How has that worked? And maybe you've, you're a little confused now because, man, I was going to change the world. Now you're a little bit older and you're in this third stage going, huh, I was pretty naive in that first 20. And now you're watchful. You're watching your kids raise their kids and going, did I do a good job? How was my discipleship techniques of my kids? And then the fourth stage comes along. So learning stage, making disciple stage, uh, watching stage. And the fourth one is getting your crap together stage. This is the stage where, man, you've poured out your life and you're, you're caring for a lot of people over the years. And now people are starting to care for you. Maybe it's a stage that you're visiting the hospital a lot because a lot of your friends are going to the hospital. 
And it's kind of the end of the stage. This is the getting your crowd together stage. And this is maybe the end time where maybe, maybe you're not just visiting people in the hospital. Maybe people are visiting you. Four stages of 20 years. Some have less. Some will have more. Here's the kicker. In two to three stages from your fourth one, two to three more, no one remembers you. No one remembers you. The things you toiled over. Crazy. Have you ever thought about this? Like, my grandfather, my dad, my grandfather, then his grandfather, so great-grandfather, there would be eight of them, if you do the math. I have great, eight great-grandparents. I've met one of them. All I remember of my great-grandfather is that he was a farmer and that he had missing digits, Right? Like most people that generation had missing digits. Uh, you probably know some of those people because they were farm. They like lop it off on a cowbell or something, or like a farming tool, and they're just like they go inside and they suck on it for a little bit, and then they bandage it, put stuff like some bread in there or something, and then they go back to work. That was the generation. Now we take like three months off, right? So it's it's a different generation, but that's all I remember. Like think of the legacy of that. Three stages after, I don't even remember. All I remember, I could not point him out in a picture. And the other seven, I have no recollection of. Zero, because they were all dead before I got to meet them. No conversation about them, ever. Not talking about them, don't think about them. They never come up into my mind. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. See, but the earth, the mountains, the rivers, the sun, the moon, the stars, still here. They have been here far before you arrived and will be here far after you are gone. They continue on. Verse 5, the sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. Right? We know this. doesn't take a lot of wisdom to see this take place, right? What is, this ta- what is this talking about? It's talking about a cycle, a cycle. Like us, like man, the sun also has a cycle. It goes up and goes down and continues to do so over and over again and has been doing so since God spoke it into existence, which we learn from the scripture, if you have a different worldview, if you don't believe in the scripture telling you uh, that God created all things, then maybe you believe that this whole world was created by an explosion. Then, man, you got to ask the question, how is there so much order that I've already just unpacked? Because last time I blew something up, which is one of my favorite things to do, is blow things up. Uh, That's why I love being a youth pastor, because you could just get away with doing that stuff. Uh, one of my youth kids brought like bear scares. Big, it's like a little sticks of dynamite and we blew up all kinds of snowmen. It was great. It was a lot of fun. Uh, never did I see a snowman be built out of blowing something up. No order. It was always usually a destruction. So I don't know where you stand on the order of things, but we're going to go with the worldview that Christianity brings and that God created it. 
I think that takes less faith. But it goes up and it goes down and continues to do so over and over again and has been doing so since God spoke it into existence. Look at verse 6. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. Again, like man, like the sun, the wind also has order, but what gets it moving? Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, we have answers for these questions now. But like, at the beginning, like, what started the movement of that wind? It's pretty crazy. How did it start moving in the first place? Cold fronts, warm fronts, there's a cycle again of sorts, but what's the meaning of it? And how can we say tornado season? In hurricane season, because there's order, because there's a cycle that is going on around us. Verse 7, all streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow. There they flow again. This one blows my mind. Like, I'm not sure. if you've ever looked at a river and wondered why it never runs out? Like, I live a five-minute walk to Lynn Valley in the canyon, so I go down there quite often. I'm just looking. The volume of water going down that river is insane. And it, it doesn't seem like we're very far away from the top of the mountain. Like, like how, even just like the, like, I know there's multiple mountains around there, and they're all flown into this one river, and the, the, this river, but they're also flown into other rivers as well. But the, and the volume of water is crazy coming down there. How is it replenishing? Well, I know that. There's answers to that. that evaporation takes place out of the sea. So I did some research, and this, is, this again blew my mind of the, the order of God and the cycle that is taking place. Can you picture 1,400 cubic kilometers? I know I couldn't until I drew it out on a map. So I went Lind Valley all the way to Swift Current, Saskatchewan, which my dad calls Speedy Creek, right? Get that? Swift, Speedy Anyways, so, so Lynn Valley to Swift Current, Speedy Creek, all the way from Lynn Valley, all the way to Fort St. John, actually 200 kilometers past Fort St. John. And then you make a box out of that, and then you go from each point of the corner of the box, go 1,400 kilometers up. That, that's almost like the whole of Western Canada covered in this big cube. Fill it with water. And every single day, that is what is evaporated out of the ocean. Every single day. And then it's poured back onto Lynn Valley. <laughs> it, feels, it feels like it anyways, right? Like there was a couple days ago that I woke up in the middle of the night and I was like looking at Jody and I'm like, what is going on outside? There's a lot of rain. 1,400 cubics water, sweetie, coming down on our house right now. Uh, anyways, again, it's this cycle right? Starting the process all over again. Why? Why? Is there meaning behind this? Or is this hevel? Is this meaningless? Is this vanity? Look at verse 8. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. More than ever, we get this, right? Like TikTok, Instagram, Reels, memes, YouTube, endless visuals for your eyes. Buses, park benches, bus stops, telephone poles, art, graffiti. The eye is never quenched. No one here, I can guarantee it, has closed their eyes and going, oh my goodness, I am done. My eyes are quenched. <laughs> no, you just keep looking. 
right? We keep looking, like when you're bored, I know you do this because I do it too. When you, when you feel like there's nothing around you, what do you do? You grab your phone, and you start looking at stuff. Your eyes never quenched. Look at the ear, right? Our ears crave sounds. Like there's a craving for having sounds in our ears. When I, I did some study on this one too, like in a quiet, the quietness, right? Just breathing gives 10 decibels. A quiet room, 20 decibels. A busy street is 60 decibels, and a rock concert is the same as a gunshot, which, so if you live in Wally, uh, it's like a concert, right? Lots of gunshots. I always used to mock Surrey uh, when I was doing youth ministry. I actually made a, Sur- a Sur- God Loves Surrey 2 shirt. Uh, but it's like 130 decibels in a rock concert or a gunshot. Right? It just lasts long. The rock concert just lasts longer, and that's obviously live in Wally. But our ears crave sounds. Our ears crave sounds. Like, take some time this week and see if you can muster up complete silence. I bet you can't. Like, you'll be broken by a bird chirping. Maybe your nose and your mouth breathing. You'll just notice, like, oh, I got it. And then all of a sudden, you'll hear a little noise coming out of your nose. You're like, duh, got to start again. Right? It's just over and over again. So your ear, not you specifically, your ear is craving sounds. It is seeking it out. See, like work, life, the sun, wind, water, your eyes are all doing what they have been created for, to live on a cycle. Some of this list just lasts longer than the other, but what is it for? Are we just to live on this cycle? The summary point in this first section would be verses 9 through 11. Take a look at it with me. It says, what has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. So in this summary, we see three points. There is a cycle, there is nothing new added, and no remembrance of past things. It's the summary points of the verses before it. So now now rather at looking at man's discovery of life under the sun, let's look through the lens of the cross. This is where the redemptive history is really important to see what the book is actually trying to enlighten us to. So four questions for us. First one, is life meaningless? Is life meaningless? Well, life under the sun is meaningless. Actually, really hard to argue any different based on the things that we just said. But the Bible on the other side of the cross provides great meaning and purpose. Provides great meaning. I'm going to bang off a whole bunch of verses here. But this meaning is found everywhere in the story of God. Look at Psalm 918 or just write it down. Look at it later. It says, for the needy shall not always be forgotten. Stages of life, remember that? The needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Psalm 33, 18, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Oh man, what great hope is that? The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. 
First Peter 1.3 on the other side of the cross says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, nothing we've done, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. John 10.10, Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Not just here in the now, but actually eternally. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Friends, you got to see that one. who all received him, who all believed in him as Lord and Savior, he has given you a right to call him a father because he calls you a son or daughter. The Apostle Paul said this, knowing all these truths in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's not a hamster wheel anymore. It's not over. It's just this cycle. See, Paul, through his discovery of Jesus, found true meaning. The second question, is there an, 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 uh, an unending cycle? Is there an unending cycle? Well, the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, like Haggai, uh, touches on Ecclesiastes' theme here when he says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, everything under the sun, we are of all people most to be pitied. He touches on the Ecclesiastes theme, all is vanity. Paul here is saying, if this life is all we have and we worship Jesus with no assurance of anything more, it would be meaningless to follow Jesus. There is a promise of something far greater. There is an unending of the cycle, Paul, or an ending of the cycle, sorry. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Or in the Gospel of John 8.31 to 32, it says, if you abide in my word, remember Jesus is the word, if you abide in me, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free from the hamster wheel of cycle. The cycle of folly is broken by Jesus. What about nothing new? Well, as redemptive history moves forward, there is indeed a radically new event that takes place. A radical new event that takes place. Jesus, the Son of God, enters the world. That's new. Right? It's never occurred before. Rebirth is promised for those in Christ. In Romans 6, 3 to 4, it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So when you confess Jesus with your mouth that he is Lord and that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're baptized into Christ Jesus in his death. And we are buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that, powerful three words, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life, newness. We're in Christ now. We're a new creation. 
This story that we're living on is no longer meaningless. There is a purpose, a meaning for our lives. See, Jesus offers new birth in his kingdom. Jesus establishes a new covenant. And most significantly, Jesus conquers death. In Revelation 21, Jesus says, I am making all things new. He's redeeming this world. The cycles will be broken. Paul spins the message of all things under the sun as vanity and says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, which we read this morning before prayer time, is therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Some really good imperatives here, some action steps for each one of us. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This ought to change how we look at our day. When you wake up, when you eat breakfast, when you go to work, when you come home for dinner, when you, what you spend your time in, how you go to sleep, and then how you do it all over again, is it changing? Is it changing? Paul challenges us, beloved brothers, sisters, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Man, this is, this is a hard book. This is one that will challenge you and confront the things that you find yourself on the hamster wheel. No more cycle of folly, but let's live a new life. Let me close with number four. Is there a remembrance of past things? This is where each one of us needs to do some thinking. The answer, actually, is there a remembrance of past things? The answer is yes and no. The answer is yes and no. Some will be released from judgment and receive an eternal crown of glory because all of their sin is paid for by Jesus Christ. And if you are that one, you then confess with your mouth and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and, and that you believe that God raised him from the dead. But some will pay for their toil for eternity. If you can, turn to Philippians chapter 3. It's closer to the end of the book of the Bible in the New Testament. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. I want to read 10 verses for us. You can even just close your eyes and listen. Now that I have already obtained this, this is Paul talking. Now that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Do we press on? Why? Why do I press on? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do consider, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. It's not a cycle with Jesus anymore. I strain towards the prize. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus for me in this life. Let those of us who are mature, let those of us who are mature, church, think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. This is Paul just going, come, I'm gonna follow Jesus. Come with me if you want. I'm just gonna keep my eyes focused on Christ. Please come with me. 
And he says, let those who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Let's encourage one another in walking towards Jesus. May we be in community with one another and encourage one another to walk towards Christ's likeness. Verse 18, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. They are ones that are stuck on the hamster wheel. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, gluttonous behavior, acting with animalistic tendencies, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. They made worldly things ultimate. Food, drink, pleasure, sex. It's all around us, and it's calling your name. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Jordan and Alyssa, you guys can come on up. See this passage that I just read, Philippians 3, 12 through 21, the key thing to see in this passage is that all Paul's efforts to grasp the fullness of joy in Christ are secured by Christ's grasp of him. The big idea, all is vanity under the sun. But in Jesus, there is eternal hope. Trust in Jesus today. Let me pray. Oh, Jesus, uh, you are so good. You have brought a new covenant. You have brought new law. You have brought a new way of life to live inside of you. You have redeemed us. You have saved us from the penalty and the, the cycle of folly. And you've brought us into the wisdom. So help us, Lord, as we walk through this amazing book of Ecclesiastes and, and ask the hard questions of ourselves and, and be changed. Be changed for you. May you receive the glory and honor. In Jesus we pray, amen.